Welcome to the Rocks Podcast. The book of James brings a nice balance to the other New Testament letters. The Apostle Paul emphasizes that we are saved by faith alone and not by works. James, on the other hand, reminds us that true faith will produce good works, for faith without works is dead. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this very practical epistle. Turn with me back to James chapter 1 where we left off a couple Sundays ago. We are going through the book of James in our week-to-week study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Put your finger there, I'll eventually get there. Now, Heavenly Father, as we turn our hearts toward heaven, we know that these truths here in our laps and in our hearts are, are spiritually discerned. We can't understand them without your Holy Spirit assisting us. So quicken us by that Holy Spirit so that we might make sense of this, especially today with the key verse that unlocks the the true meaning and intent of the book of James. In Christ's name, amen. Charles Spurgeon, that great British preacher of the 1800s, included this story in his writings. He was sitting in a hazy pub there in London having dinner. And every time he glanced up, he saw this angry face staring at him, scowling. Now, Spurgeon was a conservative, famous pastor there, so no doubt he's offended many in the city. So he rose from the table to kind of go across the room and see what the problem was, to kind of make amends or whatever. Halfway across the room, however, he comes to the embarrassing realization that he had been seeing his own reflection in the mirrors that had lined the walls on the other side. Now, we may not always like what we see in the mirror, but you got to admit, mirrors are very accurate. Even the queen's magical mirror that had a voice of its own, Snow White. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who in the land is fairest of all, to which the mirror always replied the truth. You, my queen, the fairest of all. But when Snow White reaches the age of seven, she becomes as lovely as a perfect rose. And so the question is asked, and here comes the answer. Queen, you are indeed quite fair, tis true, But not going to lie, Snow White is fairer than you. (laughs) What can the mirror do? You can't change the facts that there's somebody who is a little bit more attractive than the queen. Mirrors don't lie. And although what they tell us isn't always pleasurable, they can be very helpful. Now, a while back, I was on my way to uh, an important meeting where I would be speaking. And right at the last second, I caught a reflection in some tinted glass. And I thought I saw something right here. And indeed, I did. Right before I went into this meeting, there was this humongous glob of toothpaste that had <laughs> dribbled down somehow... And, and, and just kind of collected, like in a volcanic well. I mean, it was like, out to here is like cement. You know, this big white. I could just see me going into the meeting and going, well, you know, this is a serious time. And, <laughs> you know, just horrible. But, I, you know, I stopped off in the restroom and, and, and took about five minutes to get it off my face. And uh, all was well, but unfortunately, other times we're not so lucky. We don't catch the image in time. We all have a story or two like this, don't we? I see you already laughing and nodding your heads. One time I got to church of the pair of new jeans that I had on, and I had been in them all day, and all during the church service up until the break. 
when all of a sudden I just put my hands like this and I felt something shiny. <laughs> and you know those long runners <laughs> that say, that tell your size to the whole world? <laughs> I just looked down and, and you hear, <laughs> somebody looked at me and I'm like, what? <laughs> Nothing. Well, in- interestingly, James is going to make use of the mirror as a metaphor this morning in our text. As looking into a mirror accurately reveals your outer condition, looking into the word of God will accurately reveal the inner condition, the state of your heart. The Bible is a mirror for our souls. It tells us who we are so that we can take appropriate action and not wind up embarrassed, put to shame, or worse, in harm's way. Here's the text, picking up now in verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. We're going to pause there because if you underline any verse in James, it has to be do what it says in there in verse 22b, as we call it, because it is the key. It is James' thesis statement of the entire five-chapter book. We must practice what we preach. Our walk has to match our talk. We need to put into practice what we say we believe. This truth lies at the center of the entire book of James. Therefore, instead of going forward to get to the end of the chapter, we will pause here and uh, talk about these very profound few verses. Two ideas here. Very simple. I mean, it's only three sentences here. Two critical ideas. The problem of stopping short and the importance of following through. That's what we're going to take a look at. This morning. So, stopping short, if you're taking notes, Roman numeral number one. James is saying it's not something that you want to do, but unfortunately, it is something that we're prone to do hearing the truth and stopping short of actually doing something about it. Here is the RR paraphrase Don't fool yourself and think because you go to church, hear the word preached, read the Bible, and know what it says that you're good to go. That's the lie we sometimes like to believe, all right? So these struggling Christians, for context here, to whom this letter or epistle is written, they are really morally compromised. They are the kind of Christian you would meet and go, wow, they're not doing very well. Their trials and their tribulations and their temptations and their difficulties have gotten the upper hand. They are not doing well at all. And James says, you know what the answer is, folks? The word of God that's been planted inside you. Not some words out of a secular novel, but the living, breathing, active word of the living God that that is planted inside of you that Jesus said will well up inside of you like springs of living water, bringing forth eternal benefits That's what's missing. And he said, so last time we spoke, we saw that um, the passage there, 19 through 21, said the word of God must be received. And we got to make sure that we take care of all the nonsense in our lives that gets in between God's word and our soul from making contact. So that was last sermon. Um, Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because that kind of silly, sinful, petty nonsense will get you into trouble because God's word can't connect with you. You've got to make sure it connects. Now, this next thought is not only does it need the word of God need to be well received, but the word of God must be acted upon or receiving it will do you no good. So he's going to talk about that now. When we stop short, 
when there's a disconnect from what I'm hearing and what I'm doing, we deceive ourselves, James says. Well, first of all, you might think, that's no fun, that's crazy. Why would anybody deceive themselves? It's one thing to get duped from an outside source, but why would I myself dupe myself? It's no fun to be duped or deceived. Now, I just got deceived on, I was minding my own business doing a Bible study, and up came the screen, the little thing that said, uh, you've got some virus problems. Um, warning, warning, click here to solve your problems. Now, I was smart enough to know this looks fishy, but I was dumb enough to click not on yes, but I didn't click on no, I clicked on that X arrow at the top to get rid of it. As soon as I clicked on the X, little red X arrow, like, no, go away, go away. No, I heard the computer going, thinking. And I thought, you don't need to be thinking right now so much. All I said was, go away. But it sounded like I said, come on in, by the way the computer was clicking. You know, that was no fun. You know what it cost me? That was on a Wednesday afternoon, my busiest crammed time for Wednesday night service in the Old Testament. I need that computer, right? And so it's done, gone. Now I've got adware, adware, adware everywhere. And so why would you want to do that to yourself? To send yourself a stupid message that you click on that's going to cost you time and trouble. What is wrong with us that we would want to deceive ourselves? Well, James has already told us what the problem is, is that evil desires come from within, and that your sinful nature survived your Christian conversion, that Christ may well indeed be on board, but the smoke from the embers of that sinful fire are as poisonous as they were the day that you got saved. And the whole Christian life is about crucifying that old sinful nature so that it doesn't Spring up, and what does it like to do? It doesn't tell you, hey, buddy, you know, what, you know what I want you to do? I want you to climb up to the roof and jump off. That's a little bit too obvious, so it has to deceive you. It's not that hard to remember the last time you, you, you were deluded about how young you look or how thin you are. And then suddenly, I mean, we always remember ourselves in a different way that suits ourselves, and then we find out the reality. We delude ourselves all the time. Why should I do this sinful thing? I'll, I'll come up with three good reasons why. And they're all delusions. We do it all the time. Listen to this quote. The sinful side of ourselves is always looking for a way to avoid the hard work of obedience to God's will and yet still feel good about ourselves and our standing with the Lord. And this is one of the most insidious ways we do it. We dupe ourselves into thinking that the process of learning and hearing the truth is good enough in itself, and there's your fatal error. Now, the Pharisees are poster children for fatal self-delusion. Jesus told them, guys, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by studying them and knowing them and having right sound doctrine and theology, that you have eternal life. But these are the scriptures that testify of me, and yet you refuse to come to me. You know, it tells you what to do, but you stop short and you don't do it. The Pharisees, hypocrites, they knew every Bible verse, man. They, they memorized those scriptures. They were experts and they were doctors in the law of the Old Testament. And they are perishing before Jesus' eyes. And he says, look, you know, but you don't want to come. You know why? Because to know about repentance is a lot easier than repenting. To say amen to Christ's sermon is a lot easier than to apply a sermon. Now, recently, you know what? I got a little wounded by something, and it hurt. 
And I didn't do well with it. I let it overtake me. And I really suffered. Mentally, emotionally, it was a drain. I can tell you three Greek words off the top of my head for forgive. I can tell you five off the top of my head. I can quote them right now to you. Where the verses. I can preach to you if you just said preach a sermon right now, Pastor Ross, on the fly on forgiveness. I could take an hour right now and do it. And you'd be blessed, I think. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. I meant, I meant that it would be good. It would be, no. If I don't say so myself. Do you know how hard it was for me to actually, the Lord just said, Pastor Ross, that's what he calls me when I need to get real. When he wants my attention, he just goes, Pastor Ross, I go, okay, I'll do it. This has been in the cooker for a week. And he says, why don't you just do what you know you should do? And, and I tried that. From the bottom of my heart, I said, Lord, I forgive. Done. I've entrusted that to you. It took me about an hour of repeating the message. Are you sure you want to delete? Are you sure you want to delete? Are you sure you're sure? Yes, yes, yes. And it keeps coming back. It's work. That's why they want to stop short. It's so much easier to tell you about forgiveness than to actually forgive and let someone off the hook from the bottom of your heart. And James says, find that you know all about it, you experts listening on your iPods and, and, and listening to sermons and reading your Bible every day and saying amen in the sermons. But how about actually living it? I would rather hear, as I just heard, what a great thing to hear. Pastor Ross, it's working in my life. That beats any compliment you can give me in the moment because, you know, when a sermon is good and feelings are, are, are stirred, and the Holy Spirit is present. You feel it. You're moved. You have tears. But that's not, James is saying, that's not enough. And the delusion will come and says, yes, I amend it. Yes, I admired it. Yes, I was moved. But until it becomes a part of your life, it's zero. Make it work. Use it. Or lose it. It just doesn't work without putting it into practice. And so the Pharisees went the way of many people. Instead of self-denial, you know, they went into self-delusion. Oh, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this message. (laughs) If only so-and-so were here, how about you? Because what you've done is put a filter. This isn't for me, necessarily. This is for so-and-so. That's what the Pharisees did. We don't need to repent. All of those verses are about prostitutes and Gentiles and tax collectors. That's what those scriptures and those sermons are for. It's not for me. They had a warped view of who they were. Douglas Moo, a famous commentator I love to read, says this. However important may be the intellectual understanding of the word, it has not been truly received until it's been put into practice. You cannot audit your Christian experience. Now, when I was in college, I wanted to hear a professor I really liked, but I didn't want to take his tests. So I audited the course. That way, you get the fun part, and then when all my my fellow students are spending the night drinking coffee and cramming, I'm like, I don't have to. I got to enjoy that wonderful teaching, and I have zero responsibility. You cannot audit Christianity. You cannot sign up for all the good parts and be thrilled by the wonderful teaching and say, amen, 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 and then not live it. You cannot do it, James says. Paul described it this way. Always learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth, because they never put it into practice. Some very knowledgeable souls, my friend, will end up in eternal torment. Knowledgeable souls. 
because they stopped short. What did Jesus say? This is how Jesus concluded his Sermon on the Mount. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? <laughs> Lord, Lord, Lord. And don't do what I say. I will show you what he's like. Who comes to me, listen, who hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house. He digs down deep in the foundation on the rock. Floods come. The, the winds blow and the house could not be sh shaken because it's well built. But listen. But the one who hears my words and doesn't put them into practice, I'll tell you what he's like. He's like a guy who doesn't build with a foundation. He builds on sand and the floods rise and the wind blows and boom, the whole place is destroyed. Both men hear. Both men hear. Both men were in the crowds with the Son of God, spitting distance. Both men were in the Sunday school class. Both men were in the sermon. Both men heard the word. Both men had Bibles. Both men could quote John 3.16, but only one put it into practice. This is a problem that we have to deal with. Now James gives a funny example to drive his point home. James, like, he's fond of using everyday metaphors from daily life, just like his half-brother, according to the human nature, Jesus. Here's a good one here in verse 23. Here's the paraphrase. How silly is it to hear the word of God and do nothing about it in response? That's as crazy as getting up in the morning, looking at yourself in the mirror, seeing the mess the night before has made of things, and then just walking away and giving it no other thought, going about your day with your appearance completely untouched. Now, James is saying that stopping short of applying the knowledge received is silly, and it doesn't make any sense, just like this example. Now, I suppose that 99.9% .9 of you spent some quality time this morning in front of a mirror for a reason, not just to gaze, hopefully. Only sick people and narcissists would go to a mirror with no intention of taking any action, but only to admire the image reflected back to them. Now you see those kinds of people at the gym sometimes. They just can't stop looking at themselves. <laughs> now, James is saying, how silly. You, the reason you take a mirror is because you're going to do something. You have an intention to, to, because of the information that you get from that reflection, you're going to take action. That's why you would take a mirror like that. Uh, we need an accurate assessment so we can groom and be neat and presentable. Uh, we may have some dirt or a smudge, or we got to clean and wash, we have to shave, we have to fix our hair, or we don't have to mess with perfection. <laughs> we can just buff and shine. Which I don't do, by the way. Every time I joke about that, someone thinks I really do that. <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> So, uh, you know, you got makeup, you've got uh, to get dressed. Somebody stopped me on a Wednesday night, right before, right before, you're all seated. Somebody came up to me, a woman, she said, are you missing that button or, 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 and I looked down, no, I have it right here. <laughs> you know, mirrors are pretty important. We look at them so that we can fix things, not so that we just admire the picture. Now, instead of grooming ourselves based on a mirror, we are going to groom our hearts because they are called to conform to an image. We need to see clearly what's wrong and how to fix it. And it's not pretty when we first look. When we first look, we see things like all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not one soul righteous on their own. No, not one. It's an ugly truth that we were dead in our sins. 
and that every cell in our body wants to do the wrong thing and that we are not basically good people, we are basically bad people. More than one person has gotten up in the middle of one of my messages and left in a huff because the mirror got held up and it said, you ugly. (laughs) And what did they say? They said, do you think I've got to take this? There are other churches that I'm going to go and they're going to say, you beautiful. And I'm going to go there. Well, listen, you can be beautiful. But first, we've got to get rid of the dirt. The Bible will expose the dirt and it will also expose where the soap is. You see, but first you've got to find out how dirty you are and where the dirt is coming from, and then you can deal with it. There's a church in Sebastopol that has changed amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. They've taken the word wretch out because it says, you ugly, you a wretch. I'm not saying that. We're all God's children. We're all beautiful. We're all basically good. That is not what the mirror says. And preachers have so much pressure on them. Well, maybe I'll change the message so people won't stand up and walk out. I can't change the message. I want to stand before the living God and give an accountability of every word that's come out of this mouth. I got to hand the mirror up and hold it to you for good, for bad, and for ugly. Now, you know the story of the missionary was shaving in the jungles about 100 years ago. He had some polished glass there, and he's shaving. And one of the tribesmen comes up. He's got his war paint on. He's got his big gauged everything. Not gauged, but bones and all of that, you know, piercings. He He looked pretty scary. He loved that mirror until he looked into it. And he looked in it, and he smashed it. And he told the missionary... That person will no longer be making scary, ugly faces at me. One response is to avoid mirrors, to smash mirrors, or to lie about the mirror, that the mirror is actually not saying that. The mirror is really saying, oh, you're beautiful in all of your ways. When in fact it says, you're dead, you're no good, you're a rebel. And you were born that way. And nothing you could ever do will ever please me, ever. Unless you come to Christ and let his blood cleanse you. And when he gets a hold of you and you start to cooperate with him and you come to life, you're born again from above. Then we can start talking about me being happy. But until then, nothing you can do will count. That's a tough pill to swallow, but you won't be in heaven unless you swallowed that pill. You will not see eternal life if you think that Christ didn't need to die for you because you're basically a good person. I'm sorry. I mean, I get complaints all the time, but by the way, did you notice on Easter I was ignoring Christians? I always do that. Every Easter I tell the truth to those who are coming to visit. And if they get up and walk out, that my responsibility and your responsibility, my friend, is to hold the mirror up, tell them the truth so that they can hear the gospel and be saved. So moving on. You can say amen there if you want. Amen. It makes me feel better sometimes. <laughs> All right. So if you act on it, <clears throat> if you act on it, it matters. So from once you become a Christian, you use the mirror then to get dressed in the morning. Here's what Romans 13, 14 says. Rather, clothe yourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Galatians 3, 27 says, anyone who's been baptized into Christ has clothed themselves with Christ. In other words, the metaphor of taking off old stained garments and putting on Jesus as clothing. And to do that, we really need a mirror. So here's how it works. You take the word you're reading, and he says to you, I say to you, forgive your brother from your heart. For if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, neither will you be forgiven. Whoa. 
I need to take that off, and I need to put on compassion and forgiveness. Do you see how it works? And so then you're reading, you know, something like, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Whoa, I got to undo that. And instead, I have to put on humility. I have to change, literally. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. You see the mirror? It goes, oh, yeah, I get it. Now i got to do something about it or I will be destroyed or I will not receive forgiveness or not be able to enjoy forgiveness if I don't use the mirror. So putting on Christ, I hold up the mirror and, I, and it shows me about the Lord. And, and what does it show me? It shows me a time when a leper comes to him and says he's all leprous and he's grossed out and nobody's touching him and he, and he can't be hugged or touched. And, and Jesus, having compassion on him, reaches out his hand and says, he says, if you touch me, if you are willing, Lord, I can be clean. And he says, I'm willing. And I think when I see that in the mirror, I'm like, oh, that's the kind of guy I want to be. I want to be that kind of guy. I want to be the kind of guy when Jesus uh, saw the woman half-clothed, drug in front of him. It says, the law of Moses says, kill her, caught in the very act of adultery. And Jesus comes to her defense so beautifully and eloquent. Anybody here without sin? Go ahead, pick up a rock. And then he looks at her and says, who's condemned you? And she says, no one. (laughs) They're all gone. (laughs) And he goes, you know what? Me too. Me neither. I don't condemn you. I didn't come to condemn. I came to save. I want to be like that. And the only way to be like Jesus, who we are destined to become like, is to use the mirror. Because it accurately shows me where I need to grow. And it shows me exactly who he is and how to suit up. In him, without acting on that, I can't do a thing. And you know what, folks? The the crazy thing is, is that the same word that commands you gives you a hand in becoming that. Because it's it's not just like idioms you you read on a Hallmark card. It's the living word of God. So when he says, you know, uh, rid yourself of all anger. The word of God living in your heart, as you comply and set your heart to do these things, you will be able to. Just like the other day, when I thought, there's no way I'm going to ever be free of this. It so was so unfair and so uncalled for and so hurtful, not only to me, but to others. And I have this whole long list how I'll never be able to get rid of this thing. And boom, done, gone, by the grace of God. It's not just a Hallmark card idiom that says, oh, forgiven, you'll be forgiven. It's this living, mystical, spiritual, living power that will enable you to become the thing that God is asking you to be. So you don't have a problem about saying, how am I ever going to become this thing and and follow through because God's spirit will. Speaking of follow through, that's the second and last point. It's all about the follow through. A truth uh, in so many areas of life, it's true in golf, it's true in parenting, and it's true in Christian living. Um, Here's the paraphrase. Now, if we stare long and hard into God's law that sets our hearts free, and if we keep on doing that and not neglecting what we've heard, but putting it into practice, our lives will be filled with the good things from God. Listen, when the Bible promises and guarantees a blessed life if only you do A, B, and C. I pay special attention. Do you not want heaven's smile on your life to, for God to be like going before you and setting you up for success in every area? Don't you want just to, to have heaven applauding you and filling your life with good things? He says you can have that. If you just do this simple thing, that's amazing to me. And so 
Here's the paraphrase. Now, if we stare, I already said this, but the summation of it is if you look into God's word without forgetting what it's saying for you to do and do it, he says, this is how you'll be blessed. He first came at this in a negative way. He said, don't be a hearer only. Don't be deceived. Don't walk according uh, to your own wisdom and uh, walk away and forget. Now the positive. Do look intently into God's truth. Do this continually and do what it says. He's trying to tell you how you can be blessed in this way. Well, first he says, it's more than a cursory glance at the word, supernatural read, reading to get to the end of your chapter, or a casual read. Folks, listen, here's the word in the Greek, parakupto, to search, to look for intently. So he's saying, here's how your life will be blessed. Listen to a sermon or read the Bible in this intense way. The word means strained effort to scrutinize. John 20, it's also used there, of John stooping over um, in Jesus' tomb in this intense, focused way, in this gaze. It means to examine with the utmost care. You read it in Proverbs 2. Listen to me really fast. I'll read this to you. Listen to the intent in your effort to get the truth out of God's word. Listen to this. My son, if you accept my words, if you store up my commands, if you turn your ear, if you apply your heart, if you call out for wisdom, if you cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as silver and gold, if you search for it as hidden treasure, then... Then you will get it. Then you will be blessed. Then it's alive and well in you because it wasn't just a quick 30-second read. I'm done. I'm good. I had my devotions. Did you really? Did it get in there? That's what he's saying. A strained effort to listen. It's the way a neurosurgeon might view a brain tumor. It's the way that a mechanic would view a transmission that isn't working right. It's the way that a woman would look for her diamond ring that she last put on her vanity somewhere. That's what James says you have to do to be blessed. You have to spend that kind of effort with the truth or it's not going to sink in. The second condition for God's granted blessing is that this diligent search must be continued, and he says, and keep on doing it. So here's what I, I want to suggest to you, that our Bible times don't have stops and starts. Worship time at church doesn't have a stop and start. You can't think in terms of, I leave God's presence when I get off of my knees, You don't. Or that you're done studying the Bible when you close the Bible. You're not done. That's where the delusion comes. I'm done. I did it. It's done. It's over. Now I'm moving on into the secular part of my life. There is no such thing as a secular part of your life. You are who you are as a Christian on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. You are the same person when you're at school as when you're in youth group. You are you. You have Christ in your life. And the problem is is that I'm having these little categories. I have my one-hour quiet time. And after the one-hour quiet time, which we all should have, we're sort of done. Day and night he meditates on his word. Then he becomes like a tree firmly planted by the water, yielding its fruit in season. Its, its leaf doesn't wither, but he, and whatever he does prospers. Why? Because he doesn't have a one-hour time where it's done. He doesn't leave church and go done with worship. He's worshiping in the car. He's worshiping in his life. It's always on the back burner. And you're saying, how practical is that? It's not. It's not practical. Where are you ever going to find time to search diligently and focused and in a quiet way before God and let him speak to you so loudly that you actually start to do it? I don't know. 
Most of you probably won't. All I can tell you is the truth. That's the way to blessing. And if you can't find a way to make it practical and pay the sacrifice and the cost to do what God is saying, if you just do this one thing, your life will take off. You won't even recognize yourself because wisdom will enter your heart. And God will be smiling on your life because you have received the word and you're doing it, you're living it, and it's growing and producing and making powerful changes in you. But it's not going to work to just play games and categorize your life and just say, well, now what's next? And the doors close behind you? No. You just walk with him and think about things and pray on it and keep it in the back of your mind. Isn't that what Jesus meant when, if my word abides in you, And you in my word abide. Then you will ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. Do you hear that? If you abide, not give me an hour, give me two hours. And if he goes long, God help him. You know, speaking of a recent occurrence. (laughs) Right? Amen? Now, it's real easy to have said that, wasn't it? How easy was that? The pastor said, amen. And I said, amen. It was sweatless. You even looked good saying it. You made me feel good. Everybody looked at you and go, wow, yeah, there's a Christian. So easy. And then tomorrow morning, it's going to come. And you desperately need God. And you need to be in his word. It needs to be dwelling in you and you and him. And that's where you'll decide. And in all of these moments, you make decisions. I'm going to put this into practice. I'm going to shut my mouth instead of speaking gossip. Or I'm going to, let me just go to the last point where he says, look into this law that gives freedom and be blessed and continually to do it. That's the last point we would remember more and forget less if we put it into practice every day like that. What does he mean by when he says, look into this law that gives freedom? Well, he's talking to Jews who called the Bible the law. And he says, but this is the perfect law with Jesus because this is a law, and you don't picture this, that even though it sounds like it restrains you and restricts you, it actually gives you life and freedom. Now, this is amazing because the world doesn't think that way. In fact, I just had a conversation with an atheist who says to me, I'm free from all this Christian nonsense. And so I say, you're free from what? And I make some suggestions. Are you free from lust and fear and guilt and anger and covetousness and unbelief and envy and anxiety and the tyranny of self? Are you free from that? And he said, no. And I said, well, then are you really free? What he meant was, when he said, I'm free, he meant is, I'm free from duty. I'm free from moral obligations. I'm free from my conscience. I'm free from marriage vows. I'm free from the Bible. I'm free from the claims of Christ as Lord. And I'm free from having to bow my knee. Well, now you're a slave, aren't you? You're not very free. You know what's crazy about uh, James is he's saying, here are some chains, God's chains, that you might want to be shackled by. God has some handcuffs to keep you from destroying yourself. And when he, God, puts you in a Christian straitjacket, it's so that you don't ruin everything he's been trying to give you. And so that when I am a slave of God and righteousness, that, my friend, is when I am free because I am chained to a God who's taking me to heaven and keeping me from the things that robbed me from being truly, truly free. So don't even think of buying the lie that Christian laws restrict. They set free. James says, if you 
absorb that, diligently study and receive that and act on it, you won't be restricted, my friend. You will take flight and soar with the blessing of God upon your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It's just so simple. Here's the truth. Do it. And you'll be blessed. But Lord, like your word says, we're pretty dumb. (laughs) And we need your help. Please change our hearts so that we will count the cost, what it takes to not stop short, but to actually follow through so that we could be blessed. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Closing song. I shared with the Wednesday night crowd talking about follow through. When we lived in Sevastopol, there was a florist downtown and he did this little promo thing where he had a sign outside and said, if your name is, and it would change every day, John, come in for your free rose. And one day I'm driving home, and it says, if your name is Ross, come on in for a free rose. I'm like, what? No, I never would suspect in a million years. It just was weird. And I, I, kinda, I pulled over into the Safeway parking lot, and I did a U-turn, and I'm facing the florist and the sign. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm going to go in there, show my driver's license, and get a free rose. Take it home and say, Barb, I was thinking of you today. <laughs> But that's beside the point. But, and then I decided, you know, it's a little cheesy. You know, and I just decided, nah. But it's kind of cool to see your name out there when it's not a common name. So I went home. And the next day I drove by and it said, if your name is Andy, come in for a rose. And I just wanted to go in and I had a lot more time. And I just wanted to go in and say, how weird is this? My name's Ross. Look, and I, just, uh, I came by yesterday. Blah, 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 blah. It wouldn't have worked so well because it's Andy's turn to get the flower, right? But imagine if I just kind of went in and kind of pushed it a little bit. Now, now, wait a second here. My name is Ross. I really wanted. I didn't have time. J- Sir, I'm the owner. I make the rules. I made the boundaries. You had until we closed. Come in and get your free gift. But you didn't follow through. Yeah, you read the sign. You knew the offer. You knew the invitation was there, sir. But for whatever silly reason in your head, you came close. But you didn't come in, did you? And I'm sorry if you don't leave right now. I'm calling the police. And on that great day, people will stand great and small before the great white throne of God's judgment. And they will say, you were in our streets. You lived next door to me. I saw you the day you raised that paralyzed guy. I was one of the ones who carried the thing in there. And he will say, have we met? Because I don't know you because you didn't follow through. And it works for the Christian life as well, my friend. Though you won't end up perishing because you missed an opportunity, you'll miss out on reward. Let's bow our heads. Father God, if there's anybody here who needs to enter through the narrow gate, even today, they've heard the truth. They know. They've heard the knock at the door of their hearts. And free eternal life is waiting if they follow through. And I'd like to just say, if there's anybody here who needs to do that, nobody's looking around, hands are bowed, Christians are praying. If you'd like to to follow through and yield and bow the knee to Christ, then you slip your hand up nice and high. We'll include you in our closing prayer. Amen. I'm glad to see those hands. Three of you. That's so awesome. And and a couple more. That's so awesome. We're going to pray a prayer that's called the sinner's prayer. Just mean it in your heart. Pray in your own way and keep praying it. Uh, 
throughout your day and just make it your prayer. Let's pray this prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, you're right. I'm a sinner. I'm rebellious. I need you. Please cleanse me. Make me alive on the inside. By your Holy Spirit. Make me born again. Wash my sins away. I want to be your child. You my father. And I am your child. Keep me by your power. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Protect me from the evil one. In Jesus' name, I commit my life to you. Amen. Amen. Amanda's going to play, and now I want to talk to the Christians. Christian, you're sitting here, and God was saying, you, 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 are you listening? Now, I don't know which one of you, but I heard it. It was so loud. If that's you, and you just want to say, when people are going to bow their heads and close their eyes, you want to say, I, I want to say, I heard that, Lord, and I'm going to follow through. It would be nice as the first follow through is to acknowledge it publicly, but then it's up to you to follow through. And him, of course. Let's bow our heads, Christian brothers and sisters, messing around. God was all over you. And he's saying, are you going to respond? And you want to lift your hand and say, Pastor Ross, that, that would be me. Father, for these who are raising their hands, let them know that you are so pleased. When we confess, you just light up. You're so proud of us because it's the hardest thing we could ever do is to humble ourselves and say, I've blown it. I'm being so dumb. God, help me out of this mess. So, Father, bless those and fill them with your great encouraging spirit. It says, today's a new day. And it started with an uplifted hand that said, I'm following through. And then give them practical ways, even today, that they can make amends and do the thing that you've called them to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.